Today we're going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, and it will be on page 676 if you'd like to follow. Um, Pastor Bruce is continuing his series on how we ruin relationships, but how God has provided a way to restore them. All right. Once again, Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 30. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you right now, and we just want to thank you. Thank you for your Son and for your Word. Um, Thank you for the opportunity for us to grow in grace and truth here today. And I pray that... uh, you would make Pastor Bruce say exactly what you want him to say, and that it would plant a seed in us that would grow and mature in the weeks, months, and years to come, God. Thank you for all you've done for us. In your name, amen. Well, as Jerry, Jerry, Jeremy mentioned, we are continuing in our series, our fall worship series that we are calling how to ruin relationships, and yet how to restore those relationships God's way. And uh, what we've been doing is looking at different issues or problems uh, that can cause or us to ruin relationships, threaten relationships, and looking at those things in God's Word and seeing what God's Word has to say about restoring our relationships in each of those areas. Uh, this morning we're continuing on, and we want to talk about the rot in our talk. And so we're going to be talking about our speech, our tongues, what we say, how we communicate. In fact, if you think about it, talking is really an amazing thing. Uh, We kind of take it for granted, and yet it is truly a gift from God. We have the ability to take a, a thought that begins in our mind and communicate it through our mouth. Robert Frost put it this way, half the world is composed of people who have something to say and yet they can't, and the other half who have nothing to say and they keep on saying it anyways. I'll let you figure out which group you're in, which half. According to studies, each person here will open his or her mouth to talk an average of 700 times a day. And in those 700 times, the average man will speak 12,000 words per day, while the average woman will speak, yeah, it's a little higher, 30,000 words. Some of you might wonder, well, why women talk so much more than men? And then my wife reminded me she has to say everything at least twice to get me and the boys to hear her. Perhaps that's the reason for the disparity in those numbers, I don't know. But every day, you and I, we speak thousands and thousands of words. Some of those words are are carefully thought, they're carefully planned and selected. Others are spoken impulsively, some are spoken quietly, others are spoken with more volume. Some of our words are spoken with the desire to help someone and encourage others, but some are spoken with the motivation to hurt, to retaliate, to belittle. However, most of our words are, if we're honest, are spoken with little, if any, thought about how they will actually impact somebody else, how they will affect other people. 
So let me ask us a question here. When was the last time your mouth got you into trouble? Perhaps it was already this morning. Perhaps it was yesterday, this week. I mean, have you ever said something that you wished you could take back, but it's already out, you can't take it back? Or have you been on the receiving end of a biting comment, a, a thoughtless remark, a condescending phrase? Dorothy Neville was right when she wrote, the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing in the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. Did you hear about the elderly lady who came up to the pastor after the worship service and said, Pastor, your message kind of reminded me of the mercy of God. I thought it would endure forever. That's not my goal here this morning, by the way. Winston Churchill was famous for bluntly saying pretty much whatever was on his mind. One such recorded comment was in response to a lady Astor who told him, Sir, if you were my husband, I would poison your drink. And Churchill's reply was, Madam, if you are my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> it's painfully obvious that saying whatever you want kills relationships. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. In fact, if you want to, uh, if you want a little more in-depth study on the subject of talking and speech and the tongue in particular, let me encourage you to go to our website, glenwoodconnection.com, and you can hear the podcast and get the notes from the Chris's class, the New Life class. He's been doing a whole series on the tongue. And so my goal here this morning, because I know many of you have been are a part of this class during our discovery hour, which meets at 9:30, is to uh, do an overview not to uh, repeat what he's necessarily said, but to look even at a different passage of Scripture here this morning. As Jeremy read for us, Ephesians chapter 4, and two verses in particular. And basically what we're going to learn, that if you want to ruin relationships, just continue to blurt out whatever you want. Just say whatever you want with no thought given to it. And in time, you will ruin, you will even kill your relationships. But if your goal is to restore relationships, and we're going to see, then we need to use words that give grace to the person in front of us, to the person that we're speaking to. Sometimes we don't think enough about our words and just how much power they carry. Proverbs 18.21 reminds us the tongue has the power of life and death. Think about that. Something so small has the power of life and death. James 8, I mean James 3, verses 8 through 10 says, speaking of the tongue, it is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, James says. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Sometimes our mouths are, are kind of like a loaded gun and we become highly skilled at pointing it at others and pulling the trigger. And we know this is true because we've seen it and we have felt it way too many times, whether it be face-to-face -face or through Facebook or text messages or emails. And so our weapons, our words, I should say, can be used as, almost as weapons of mass destruction. An unchecked tongue calls for lots of relationship body bags. I still remember as a kid, my mother actually washing my mouth out with soap. 
Has anybody ever had that done before? Raise your hand if you've had your mouth marked. All right, all right, I'm not. There's a few of us here. I actually remember that as a kid still. She marched me to the bathroom sink, rubbed the bar of soap in my mouth, and then rinsed it out and sent me to my room. Now, some of you may be wondering, why would my dear, sweet mom wash my mouth out with soap? It seems so cruel. Well, she believed what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And so I probably told my brother, shut up one too many times, or called him an idiot one too many times, and now my mom was using an unforgettable object lesson to clean out the rot in my talk. But my mother also knew that soap in the mouth couldn't touch the rot in my heart. That was a job only God could do. Because at the end of the day, listen, getting rid of the rot in our talk is fought in the heart. It's a heart issue because Jesus tells us that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you don't like the rot in your talk, or if your talk is ruining relationships with people, then listen carefully this morning because the Apostle Paul wants to help us to get rid of the rot in our talk from the inside out. Listen again to the words that Paul writes to us here in Ephesians 4. 29 through 30, says, let no corrupt word or communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. And now he tells us why, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let's look at these two verses here in particular. Let's analyze this a little bit. See what Paul's telling us here about getting the rot out of our talk. Number one, he gives us a prohibition. And basically, he's telling us, don't speak with corrupting talk. It's a command. Don't speak with corrupting talk. Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, the NIV translation and uh, the New American Standard translation use the phrase unwholesome word. The uh, RSV uses the phrase evil talk. The ESV says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So what is the idea then behind the words? Because in various translations, Paul uses these words corrupt, he uses evil, he uses unwholesome. And so what is behind all three of these words here? The underlying Greek word simply means rotten. It's the idea of rotten. In this and so corrupting talk is really talk that is rotten talk. This word for rotten was used in the Gospels. In fact, Jesus used it himself in the Gospels, the same word, to describe rotten fish or even rotten fruit. And so the image now, as Paul writes this, the image in Paul's mind was probably one of rottenness and decay. Something that is spoiled. And now it's contaminated. So the meaning is, is something like, hey, don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth. Or we might say in our current culture today, no trash talking. No trash talking. So what kind of rotten talk does Paul have in mind that should not come out of our mouths? 
Well, I, I, we know Paul has in mind what he wrote a few verses earlier in the same chapter here, Ephesians 4. You go up to verse 25, and Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we were all members of one body. So Paul at least has that in mind in reference to rotten talk, is lying, speaking falsehood. We also know that Paul also has in mind what he writes just two verses later here in Ephesians 4, verse 31, when he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And I think Paul would also include what he writes in the next chapter. We're in chapter 4, but in chapter 5, verse 4, of Ephesians, he writes, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving or gratitude. And so when you look at all of God's word, what God has to say to us in all of the scriptures here, I think we can summarize uh, here what, is a, what qualifies as rotten talk. It's talking too much sometimes, such as gossip and slander and spreading rumors. Sometimes rotten talk is just talking dishonestly. It's lying, it's falsehood, it's deceiving, or talking harshly, like name-calling, backbiting, trading insult for insult, yelling and screaming, criticizing and complaining. Sometimes rotten talk is talking crudely. It includes vulgarity, using God's name in vain, sensual and pornographic talk, dirty jokes, just crude talking. Or it may even be talking flippantly, talking cynically, carelessly, sarcastically, even scornfully. All of these things here are all under the heading of rotten talk, corrupting talk, as Paul describes it. Now, let's kind of step back from this and ask what Paul might mean by calling our talk rotten or corrupting. If we think of rotten fruit, like Jesus did, I think four implications flow out of this. Four implications of rotten talk, if you're taking notes here, you can fill in your blanks, since it's not on the screen. First, rotten talk does not nourish. Rotten talk does not nourish. Just as rotten fruit does not nourish, neither does rotten talk. It does not help, it does not improve, it does not strengthen anybody. Rotten fruit is not useful. What do you do with rotten fruit? You throw it away. It's good for nothing. All you can do is throw it in the trash. Why? Well, second of all, because rotten talk makes people sick. Rotten fruit makes you sick if you try to eat it. And rotten talk makes people sick when they hear it. In other words, rotten talk not only fails to give positive nourishment, it can cause negative harm. Rotten words can hurt a person very deeply. And then number three, rotten talk makes the atmosphere stink. Have you ever been around someone when rotten talk spews from their mouth? It smells bad. It makes the whole room stink. And you can't wait to get away from them and leave. Get outside, get some fresh air, if you will. Just as rotten talk can make your kitchen stink, make a refrigerator smell when you open the door. I should say rotten fruit. And then rotten talk is the same way. Fourth, here, rotten talk comes from a rotten heart. And that's the most important implication we're going to look at. Rotten talk comes from a rotten heart. 
Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So what is Jesus saying here? He's basically saying that rotten talk is the fruit of a rotten heart. That's the bad news. But there's good news as well, and that is Jesus died, and he rose again so that we could be forgiven of our sins, of our rotten talking, the rotten hearts that we have, and that our hearts could be changed from the inside out. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But because of our sin nature, we still struggle even as Christians, as people who are saved by the grace of God, have received the gospel, trusted Christ, we still have a sin nature, we still struggle with our talk. We will still say all kinds of things that do damage to people. And you may counter, oh, I was just joking. That's just the way I talk. Where's your sense of humor? But it's no joke. When you speak with corrupting talk, you are speaking out of the abundance of your heart. And what comes out is rotten. And it stinks. And it makes people sick. Paul Tripp, in his book, War of Wards, writes, Word problems are always related to heart problems. Jesus' brilliant metaphor reveals that our words are shaped and controlled by the thoughts and motives of our hearts. It is very tempting to blame others. She makes me so angry, or he pushes all my buttons, or to blame the situation around us. I didn't have it time to sit down and discuss it calmly, or, or with four kids in the house all talking at once, a soft answer doesn't work. He goes on, he writes, my words reveal the true desires of my heart. Word problems reveal heart problems. And we all have excuses, don't we, for what we say. We're tired, or we're provoked, or we weren't thinking, or we didn't mean it, or it's true, so we said it anyway. And on and on we go, justifying our rotten talk. We all have people in our lives that just drive us nuts. Some people just seem to have the spiritual gift of irritation, and they kind of know how to get under our skin. But your words matter more than you think. It's interesting. Jesus goes on in the very same chapter of Matthew chapter 12, and in verse 36 he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So our words matter more than we often think they do. So no wonder Paul says to us here now in Ephesians, hey, don't speak with corrupting talk. It's a clear and concise command. We're not to let any. Did you notice he says no, let no. So we're not to let any rotten talk proceed out of our mouths. Now, although it doesn't start at the mouth, it's about to proceed out of the mouth and escape into open air or the digital space. And Paul says, basically to us here, stop it there. 
Stop it there before it escapes as rotten talk. It's the same thing David said, King David, when he writes in Psalms 141.3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In other words, Paul is commanding us, even though it starts in the heart, stop it right here in the mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed or come out of your mouth. The prohibition, the command, if you will, is clear and concise. Don't speak with corrupting talk, which brings us to Paul's exhortation. Number two, the exhortation here, he says, do speak with edifying talk. Do speak with edifying talk. Look again what Paul writes in verse 29. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. In other words, we are at all times to say things that are good. Literally, whatever is good. Does that mean all we should talk about are puppies and pretty flowers and anything else that seems cute and cuddly and pretty and good? No, Paul says, speak what is good for necessary edification. Now, what is that word, edification? We don't use that word in our everyday language. So what is edifying talk? Well, edifying talk is simply talk that is good for building up others. That's the idea of edification, is to build up. And so when we finish speaking with another person, they should feel stronger than he or she did before when they came into our presence. Not because they have a stronger self-esteem necessarily. Paul is not advocating sweet-talking others so that they feel good about themselves. In fact, a person may actually come away from a conversation upset by what was said. But if it was truth spoken in love, with grace, with the purpose of building up, then eventually building up will happen out of that conversation. Perhaps you've heard the following poem. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may smite and kill. A brutal word will accomplish nil. But a gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may brighten a day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. That's the idea here. And so edifying talk is talk that is good for building up others. It's the opposite of talk that tears down somebody. Our talk is to be beneficial so that it builds other people up rather than harming them or destroying them. This means our speech will be radically different from the speech of the world. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, that is the whole emphasis Paul is building on here in this chapter. Because in the beginning of the chapter, he, he lays out this thought process that, hey, we have been changed. We once walked this way in our former life. That is before Christ. We acted like the world. We talked like the world. We did what the world did. And now he says, but you've been radically changed. So now put off. Your attitude, your actions, your whole lifestyle of the world and put on the new self that was now created through a new heart in Christ. Put these things on and he lasers in now in verses 29 and 30, our talk. In other words, we are to put off the talk of the world and we are to put on the talk of 
the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're to put on the talk of Christ followers. And that talk is edifying. That talk builds up instead of tearing down. Think of it, so much of the world's speech is about getting what we want. It's about getting our needs met. But for the Christian, speech is about building up others. You know, it's been said there are basically three types of people in our world. Those who think before they speak, those who think while they speak, and those who think after they speak. Which one are you? Do people say about you, you know, man, you know what I like about her? She thinks before she speaks. She never runs off at the mouth. Or do you tend to think while you speak, evaluating and weighing your words as they are coming out of your mouth? Or do you think after you speak, only realizing later that what you said was hurtful and sensitive or inappropriate? Here are five questions to ask yourself to help you think before you speak. Number one, are my words truthful? Are my words truthful? Is what I'm going to say the truth? If not, then don't say it. Now, just because something is truthful doesn't mean we need to say it, right? Which brings us to number two. H, are my words helpful? Because even though it's true, it may not be helpful to that person or to the situation. Is what I'm going to say helpful and beneficial? Is it going to build them up or tear them down? The letter I here. Are my words inspiring? In other words, is what I'm going to say encouraging? Or is it discouraging to someone? Letter N. Are my words necessary? Is what I'm going to say, does it really need to be said or not? Remember, Jesus said we're going to be judged for every careless or idle word. So are what we are getting ready to say, is it necessary? And then last, the K stands for, are my words kind? Are they kind? Are my words hateful and harmful? Or are my words loving and compassionate, kind, tender-hearted as Paul describes here? So when it comes to our talk, Paul tells us, don't speak with corrupting talk, but do speak with edifying talk. And now he gives us the motivation for it all. I love this part. The motivation here is this, is to make my mouth a means of grace and not grief. That's the motivation with our talk. That's the motivation behind don't speak with corrupting talk, but do speak with edifying talk, is to now make my mouth a means of grace and not grief. Now, this is a revolutionary way, in fact, a radical way, to think about your mouth. The issue here is not whether our mouth can avoid gross, rotten, corrupting talk. The issue is whether our mouth is actually a means of grace to people and not grief. Paul is shifting from what we say to why we say it. That's the issue here. And that's what Paul does when he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. And then he shifts from what we say to why we say it, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let me just lay this out for us here in kind of a twofold motivation or twofold purpose or goal 
for our edifying talk. Number one is to give grace to the hearer who is in front of me. That's the motivation. That's the goal. The purpose is to give grace to the person I'm speaking to. Listen, every time we open our mouths, do you realize it is an opportunity to give grace to the person who hears what we say? Just think of it. We have the privilege of being co-workers with God in how we talk. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? So what is the grace that we are giving in our talk, in our speech? What does Paul mean by that? Well, grace, we could define it this way. We know that it is that which we don't deserve. That's grace. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve, such as the grace of God just in our salvation. We didn't deserve salvation, did we? And yet God grants that to us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so in many of our conversations, our words should be filled with echoes of God's grace that point people to Jesus Christ and the gospel. As Paul writes in Colossians 4, 6, he says, let your speech always be seasoned, I'm sorry, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. But this isn't all that Paul has in mind here when it comes to giving grace to the hearers. Just consider the times that you've been on the receiving end of a derogatory or condescending remark by a family member or a friend, a coworker, somebody at school. And at that moment, when we're on the receiving end of a cutting remark, our reflex is to spring back at them with our own cutting remark. We're word-punched, and we want to come back swinging with our words. After all, that's what they deserve, is it not? Hey, you hurt me with your words, I'll hurt you back. And before we can think about the rotten words we are using that are tearing down, rather than building up, we volley a series of well-deserved, graceless words hitting the target and inflicting grief on the hearer. But Paul tells us we are to make our mouth a means of grace. Not grief. All right. That means we're not to speak in ways that the other person deserves. We are to give that person what they don't deserve. We are to give them grace with our words. And we have Christ as our example for this, do we not? Who cried out as he was dying on the cross. Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Christ didn't respond with insults at people who were mocking him and ridiculing him when he was dying on the cross. Instead, he responded with words of grace. And this is what Paul says we are to do, because we are followers of Christ. We're Christ's followers. We follow his example. And so we don't speak to others the way they deserve. We speak to them 
in ways they don't deserve, with grace, because that's what grace is when it comes to our talk. The deeper question here for us, is my mouth a means of grace or grief? That's really the question. Am I giving grace to the hearer in front of me? And so, students, I would challenge you. At home, with your siblings, your parents, friends at school, I would challenge us with coworkers, with our spouses, with our kids even. Am I giving grace to the person who is in front of me, or am I giving them grief with what's coming out of my mouth? These are amazing verses about the work of God's grace in our own lives, is it not? This makes me think that if my mother had only washed my mouth out with soap and never prayed to wash out my heart with the gospel of the grace of God, I might have a clean mouth, but I'd still have a dirty heart. Because a Christian, a Christ follower, is one whose rotten root within has been made new by the grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the grace of God has now taken the anger, the hate, the resentment that spill over into hateful and harmful talk and has covered it with the blood of Christ and has given us a new heart in Christ. And this is what allows us now to speak words of grace because we are on the receiving end of God's grace at work in our own hearts. And that's the key. Our hearts got to be changed. Amen? And this is why Paul tells us that the second purpose of edifying talk is to not grieve the Holy Spirit who is in me. Did you know that you could grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells within you? Man, that's a powerful thought. That's a sobering thought. So what does that mean, to grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer in Jesus Christ? Well, it means that a Christian, for one, is a person in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And that this Spirit of God seals the believer for the day of redemption, as Paul says. In other words, the Spirit of God puts the stamp of his own image on the life of the believer and guarantees that he or she will persevere to the day of redemption, as Paul calls it. It's what Paul wrote earlier in the same book here of Ephesians. You go to chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, and listen to what he writes. He says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, this means the Spirit's seal is our assurance of a secured hope. The hope of all believers, guaranteed by the Spirit, is that that at the end of history, history here on this earth, will come to the day of redemption and not the day of damnation in our lives. The Holy Spirit guarantees this, seals it for us. The point is this. Paul says the Spirit has been given to seal us and secure us for that day of redemption that we all look forward to. In other words, the Spirit's sealing work aims to give us hope. 
as we're living in this chaotic world of ours. And you're like, where's the hope? What am I looking forward to? Man, the hope is that the Spirit has guaranteed and seals me for that day that is coming, the day of redemption. So how then do you grieve the Spirit in relation to our talk by not hoping in this day of redemption? By not hoping in the power of the Spirit to secure you and keep you. Think of it this way. If the Holy Spirit has been sent to give you hope in God, and instead of hoping in God, you fret over your problems. You become angry and bitter and resentful towards that person. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We are striving against the very purpose for which, for which he was sent and given to us. And the talk now that comes out of a heart that doesn't hope in God will not give grace to those who hear it. Because a heart that doesn't hope in God is a heart that cannot give grace. It gives grief. After all, how can you make your mouth a means of grace for others when you don't hope in the grace of God yourself? That's the issue Paul's dealing here. It's out of hopeless hearts of discouragement, bitterness, and resentment that rotten and corrupting talk spews out. But if we stop and think for a moment that Christ has died for my sins, that God has promised to work all things together for our good, and he has given you his own spirit for the purpose of sealing you for the day of redemption, then surely a confident hope will dwell in your heart and up from your heart will flow grace, and out of your mouth will come what? Words of grace and not grief. All of this here makes the question for our mouths pretty important. Is my mouth a means of grace, or is it a means of grief? How am I using my mouth? with the people in front of me that hear it, or the people through the digital world that receive it? How am I using my mouth to the one who dwells within me even? You know, most parents have told their children in the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but you got it. Words will never hurt me. We usually tell our children this when they're crying about something mean that some kid at school has said to them or about them. And we kind of say this to remind our children that there are worse things that can happen to you than to have someone say something mean and cruel to you. But you know, words do hurt, don't they? And rotten, corrupting talk can kill relationships as well. And the Apostle Paul here understands the power of our words. And so he's reminding us, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Why? That it may impart or that it may give grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, do you want to show in a tangible way I mean a real way, an authentic way. Do you want to show that the grace of God is at work in your own life? You know one of the best ways to show that? 
is to show it by making your mouth a means of grace and not grief. Now, we'll need the Holy Spirit to do this, won't we? Because this is something we can't do on our own. Our tongues are too powerful. We have to have the Holy Spirit's help to tame our tongues. It takes the grace of God at work in us to make our mouth a means of grace to others. Let's pray. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That is, you have yet to repent of your sin and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and Receive new life in Him that only Christ can give you. Man, if that's you here this morning, then let me encourage you to respond to God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Listen, God loves you, and He wants to save you from the penalty of your sin, which is death, separation from God for all eternity. And He wants to have a relationship with you through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so your first step is to Acknowledge that and come to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Ask him to forgive you. Receive his forgiveness and ask him to make you new all over. For those of you who already know Christ, let me encourage you to evaluate your talk. Do you have rot in your talk that you need to get rid of? Then why not take a moment here as the praise team sings to confess your sin to God and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to help you with the spirit that dwells within you to make your mouth a means of grace to your siblings, to your parents, to your children, your spouses, your co-workers, and not a means of grief to those people. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask you to forgive us for wounding people with our talk. And to help us to get rid of the rot in our talk that ruins so many relationships. Lord, help us to speak with edifying talk. And we ask that you would make our mouth a means of grace and not grief in your spirit's power. As the praise team sings, let me encourage you to respond right where you're sitting, right where you're at, as you see fit as the spirit leads. Mm -hmm.